Hey, this is the True Crit Podcast, where me, John Digital, and Lizzie Benito get pretty nerdy about an artist's discography. This season, we're talking about Steely Dan, so strap in. It's going to be wild. And this week, Lizzie Benito and I are hanging around in the weeds. Oh, God. We're going to be talking about Donald Fagan's second record, second solo record, Kamakiriad, which is a reunion of sorts. This is one of the hardest slogs <laughs> I have ever, ever, ever taken on. I've had to f- just completely psych myself up mentally to listen to this record and... I have only managed to get through it all the way probably about three or four times. I think I've managed all the way through, honestly, once. The rest of the time it has been all the way through, but I've been skipping through it. Well, I don't even know where to start. It's musically just fucking terrible. I'm just going to go out there and say it. <laughs> this is a terrible fucking album. It's frustrating, though, because on paper, it actually sounds like it could have been quite cool because it's a concept album yep. about this car, the Kamakiri, which is Japanese for praying mantis. Yep. So we're going back to the kind of Eastern influences that they're quite famous for. Some of the personnel on the album, pretty cool. You've got Cornelius Bumpus on here, Randy Brecker's back from, yeah. the, from the last album, and you've got Alan Rubin as well. So it's not like it's thin on the ground in terms of good musicians. And when you read some of the interviews as well that Donald had around the album's release, he's talks about it quite passionately, and he says that he wanted it to be like a dance album and he wanted it to capture from Sly and the Family Stone to Earth, Wind and Fire. I mean, he's talking about the hero is kind of a fuck up but with excellent intentions, which is, you know, back to this kind of gentleman loser type person that we've seen throughout the Steely Dan back catalogue. But then the actual delivery of it is just awful. <laughs> it's yeah. so bad. One thing that struck me the most throughout the whole thing is that when people talk about Gaucho being clinical to a fault. I feel like this is even more so processed, sterile. God, it's so 90s, but in a really bad way. There's like no irony about it whatsoever. I can't but help feel like the whole record is just a practical joke. It's produced by Walter. Yeah. Just trying to grasp like why they considered this to be release worthy. (laughs) Right? Just thinking, like, is it just a practical joke? I don't know. Did Donald do it so he'd get, like, chucked off the label or something? I don't know. I honestly don't know how this got released. I wonder whether it's because Donald had been experiencing, like, awful writer's block for a really long time. And it's almost like they've kind of let him release it because they felt bad for him. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Like, well done, well done, darling. <laughs> There's like a piece of the story that we don't know. That's how. That's what I feel about it. Yeah, I agree. And there's very little out there about it as well. A lot of the reviews I've found have been reasonably positive. A couple of them have been a bit like, meh, it's not great. But I think they're from, like, diehard Dan heads. We, at this point, diehard Dan well, heads? Well, I think we are, 
But this isn't Steely Dan. No. Not, not really. It, it verges on being, in some places, the incidental music in an episode of Seinfeld. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Trans Island Skyway. There we go. We're just, like, straight in. First track. Yep. Setting the scene. Yep. Describing this car, the Kamakiri. <laughs> which sounds like right so i wrote a note about this like you know the plinky synth yeah. which is sort of layered with the guitar i think throughout the whole song that kind of that bit It sounds like it's trying to describe some kind of comedy, square-wheeled old jalopy. Because <laughs> isn't it set in the millennium? Yeah. Which is just really shit. <laughs> so apparently in the year 2000, we're going to be driving these like massive cars with hydroponic farms at the back. Yeah. Which is, you know, that came to pass, yeah, didn't it? it did. And to be honest with you, it's a wonder of modern technology. <laughs> And oh God. I'm so happy that we're living in that future. Yeah, I can't wait to get my turnips out of the boot. <laughs> but there's oh there's so many things about this particular song that really winds me up. So we've gone from coke, heroin, weed, booze, you know, to, to yeah, to drinking decaf <laughs> in this song, which really wound me up. I was like, What are you doing, guys? <laughs> And then lyrically, he's just, you know, driving around his car and he comes across a car accident, a car wreck, and he picks up a woman with dancer's legs or something. I can't remember exactly what he says, which I find a bit creepy. I think this whole record is pretty creepy. Yeah, there's a few things in here that are quite creepy. I find the idea of like picking up a woman from a car accident is a bit weird. Yeah, it's not one of his greatest stories, is it? No, not really. <laughs> not really. And this is the first song. But like, keep this song in your mind, because basically, this is how the whole album sounds. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't it's, really change. It's absolutely fucking <laughs> relentless how it just kind of pile drives the same groove yeah and the same because these songs they're like vamps aren't they they're yeah two chords three chords nothing interesting happens like all the hallmarks that we associate with donald fagan just his amazing ability to just turn a song into something that's an expression of pure joy mm -hmm. We do not get any of that on this record. No, we don't. I'm just trying to think, is there a... Oh God, no, I can't think of any moment on this album that does that. There's one moment in one song that kind of disarmed me slightly, but then it just descended into to more of the same. More of the same, funnily enough, is the first note I wrote for the next song, <laughs> Counter Moon, but with a sad face drawn next to it. What is there to say about this song? I've even written, I don't care what this is about <laughs> on my notes. I just really struggle to find any meaning in these songs 
it, it's kind of the words are just there to be words. Previously, would have actually welcomed any kind of pretension from Steely Dan. But on here, on the personnel list for the album, they have someone down called Illinois Elo Anu, right. who isn't a real person. It's alias of Don's of him playing a saxophone sample on a keyboard. <laughs> I didn't know that. He's made up some name for someone. And it's just that terrible sax synth on this song, which is just, God, it's like they've let the kid on a Bon Tempe. There is no excuse for anybody ever to record themselves playing a saxophone sample on a keyboard. <laughs> no excuse. I'm not one for rules in music. I'm not one for saying, oh, you know, music should be this or music should be that. But I would vote wholeheartedly for that to be the one and only rule in music. When you think about how many amazing saxophone players they had at their right. disposal right. and they chose to just play it on a synth sample. That's why, like, that's why I think this album... God's sake. This album is just... A, it's a practical joke. Okay. It's got to uh, be. This is making me feel a tiny little bit better. Yeah, it's just got to be because... Like you say, they could have got anybody into the studio. They had fucking, you know, like, what, three records ago with... We were talking about Wayne Shorter on Edge. Yeah. Like one yeah. of the greatest like jazz saxophonists of all time. But no. <laughs> right, springtime. So I've written at the top of my notes on the one, had Don just learned how to drive? Because all of the songs are just like, yeah, man, I'm cruising along, picking up some babes, da 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 da. So this one starts off quite interestingly, I think. You think, oh, what's this? Sounds really interesting. Oh no, it's more of the same. <laughs> <laughs> I think the idea of this is quite an interesting one because it's talking about this place called Laughing Pines when you can go back and experience like lost lovers. Yeah. But yeah, then it just it's just more of the same because he's talking about going back to see Connie Lee. Hey, it's Connie Lee. And then Mad Mona. Mona turns up later on in the album as well. And then some unnamed woman as well. But there's like this synth bass in it. I just hate it. I think maybe Don just got like a new synth just before he made this record. <laughs> and he was just so enthralled oh. by the sounds that it made that he just had to just get them all on this record. Yeah. Well, let's just move on. Okay, fine. I've got nothing really about else to say. Snowbound. This nearly sounds like a Steely Dan song. Do you think? Yeah. This is the only song that I kind of like. Okay. No, you said this to me on text. Yeah. It's got to be a song about cocaine. Do you think? Yeah. Okay. Because I really wanted it to be about cocaine and I wasn't really sure. The bit that made me think, oh, maybe, is when they're talking about Charlie Tokyo. Something new from Charlie Tokyo. 
and they go to this party where there's a pyramid with a human heart beating an ion grid. Not iron, ion grid. <laughs> but I suppose lyrically, it's some of the more kind of weirder lyrics. Mm. But then he's like, oh, it's a bit cold. Let's make sure we've got our thermos flasks. <laughs> I was like, God damn you, for God's sake. God damn you, Dan. Damn you, Dan. Yeah, we're back there again. We're at the <laughs> thermos. <laughs> Brilliant. But so I did think, so I thought maybe it was about cocaine because this is a co-write with Walter as well. So, mm. because it says Snowbound, let's sleep in today, wake me up when the wolves come out to play. Does he mean drug dealers? Oh, maybe. Okay, maybe. And so if we were playing the Steely Dan drinking game or following the Steely Dan flow chart, <laughs> is it about drugs? Yes. yes. What drugs is it about? Coke. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, th- I think we're in familiar territory with this song. But again, I just can't connect to any of these songs and I think it's just purely the sound of the record it's the way the instruments have been mixed engineered. oh god it's yeah like this whole record just sounds like if the music of Steely Dan is a grand banquet of just the most delightful foods on the face of the earth this is like a shrink wrapped McDonald's meal from like 1973 <laughs> Oh my God, that's quite harsh, John. Is that too, have I gone that's, too far? Okay, so I've made a couple of observations about this Snowbound song. I feel like it would have been better in the hands of George Benson. George Benson could have fucking, yeah. actually really like the bass in this one. The bass is really lovely and languid and the brass arrangements are really lovely as well. And there's this kind of like noodling kind of organ in the background. But I was imagining the organ being George Benson, like noodling around in a guitar. And I was thinking, yeah, I mean, George Benson's not the most amazing vocalist, but they need this Donald's. So I don't know, I kind of imagine him making a better job of this and it being a little bit kind of rougher around the edges. Yeah, yeah, I think that's like, there's just every edge has been smoothed out on this. Oh, everything's just really kind of sterile and clinical and horrible and like 90s infomercial. You could almost imagine them just all wearing like white coats like in the studio and it just, you know, and like there's no like there's not even any dust in the studio yeah really just super clean they they did a deep clean of the studio at the end of the sessions every day oh such a shame it is it's such a shame and there's one song later on where they've tried to make it a little less clinical and it just still sounds clinical (laughs) just about tomorrow's girls no we're not we're talking about florida room which is after tomorrow's girls oh tomorrow's girls i've written a paragraph for this i've written by this point in the album i'm just desperate for something else to happen but we seem to be back to a slightly different version of springtime (laughs) <laughs> and I think it's got quite an interesting structure because there's that middle bit which kind of catches you off guard a little bit. And that's what I was talking about earlier. And you're like, oh, hang on, this actually sounds quite interesting. In the cool of the evening, in the last light of the triple sun, I wait by the go tree when the day's busy work is done. And then it just descends into a 90s version of Mumbo number five. 
Yeah. Yeah. Just really. <laughs> yes. It's like Lou Vega ripped off. Yeah. just kind of reeling off women's names to kind of broaden the description slightly it's about alien race of women descending on planet earth and (laughs) it's kind of integrating with all of the other women so it's kind of like a stepford wives type arrangement but that's why he's saying you're not my mona you're not my connie you're not my mama you're not my sister and and a little bit of monica (laughs) in my life i hate it <laughs> oh man. And do you know this is a fucking single off this record? I know. So two of these songs on this album had videos to go with them and I haven't got round to watching the videos. This album has made me so actively angry. I just don't want anything to do with it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy thing about the video to this song and again I haven't seen the video because pretty much for the same reasons. Oh god. But Rick Moranis is in the video. Yeah. Song. That's like really weird. Yeah. But I mean, you know, they were massively famous. True. This definitely wouldn't have made it on my MTV compilation VHS that I used to to keep as an archive of all my favourite stuff on MTV. Ah, so we were talking about, on text, about the year this came out and how much of an oddity it must have been being released in 1993 when you consider all of the other albums that were coming out at that time and what had happened as well between The Nightfly coming out and Kamakiriad coming out. Like, you'd had, like, pop just appeared from nowhere, really proper pop music as we understand it. We'd had New Wave, we'd had Grunge had turned up as well, and it was such a different place I feel like maybe Donald had kind of misstepped a little bit with what he was trying to do at that point because you know 70s sort of disco and funk was probably not old enough for people to be kind of interested in again yeah and also it's just completely way off the mark with what he was trying to do because when I listen to it I love funk I love disco and I don't listen to this with any kind of joy whatsoever, which makes me just think either he didn't get it, which I don't believe, or like you say, it was a joke. <laughs> it's got this record. It just has to be. It has to be a joke. Yeah. It, I just can't. It's, it's not a serious work of art. So moving on to Florida Room, which I feel like has a bit of potential and the name of it as well and it starts off quite interestingly and the, and the backing vocals are really interesting on this one as well there's that kind of call and response with the sax and I was thinking what's this about is he reminiscing over an old flame but then again I've just said it just sounds like a, a 90s infomercial again <laughs> What I was thinking about a lot, actually, when I was listening to this particular song is that, again, I really want to hear someone else sing it. I was imagining someone like Leanne Le Havre singing it. Like now, an interesting cover. Spinning it and just making more out of the kind of sparse arrangement. The lyrics are quite beautiful. They're quite romantic. Yeah. 
which is so weird to hear them singing really romantic songs. I mean, they had like Maxine in The Night Flow, which is like just a balls out romantic yeah. song, like love song, which you're not really used to hearing. This is very kind of, it's very tropical. You're talking about the dahlias and it's talking about the hurricane in the Florida room. It's quite interesting imagery. But again, it's just delivered so badly. I just never want to hear it again. Yeah, this could have benefited from kind of that samba vibe of the goodbye look. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Just changing up the rhythm a little bit. That just doesn't happen on this record. No. Do you think he kind of wanted to just people to just put it on at a party? Just have it in the background. Yeah. Just Jerry Seinfeld, like, fucking about with George and Kramer. (laughs) Fucking hell. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could do a slap bass impression. We're just padding out now. That's what this record sounds like. (laughs) Oh, Oh, that made me laugh too much. My stomach aches. Oh, Oh, that's funny. Okay. We need to move on to On the Dunes. Okay, so out of all of the songs, this is the one that made me the most angry. Yeah, I remember you saying that it made you really angry. It's I, eight I like, minutes long. All the songs on this record are too fucking long. They are too long. Do you remember when we were just just praising him for like all those like little vignettes mm-hmm. on Pretzel Logic? Mm-hmm. And just like how beautiful they are. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed that this record's like a 45 minute record because it feels like a fucking three hour record. So on Asia, it's fine totally fine to have the structure that they have and it feels like they're trying to literally take the structure of Asia not the album the song Mm. and apply it to this song but because it's so awful it's just made me so angry like it's the gentleman loser guy who's turned up again I feel like he's having a bit of a shit time okay I've written such an album track but doesn't think it is (laughs) (laughs) and we get four minutes of the song and then four minutes, four minutes of faffing around. Yeah. basically like noodles away for like four minutes but not in a good way like everything's weirdly engineered i find it really distracting like the symbols are really strangely mixed the drums are off the percussion is like so distracting i found it really jarring and not in a good way yeah because sometimes things are mixed in a way that kind of piques your interest it's actually quite cool but this just is like are you a groove or are you trying to tell me something Mm. and i feel like this is just it doesn't do either of those things there's a lot of drum machine on this record as well isn't oh that's probably why it's pissing me off yeah these guys were always really fastidious about drummers and getting them to, you know, produce the the best take, the most yeah. kind of in time take. And 
I think for them just saying, actually, let's just use a drum machine is a terrible idea for them. Mm, yeah. Because it just gives all the songs this kind of inflexible vibe. Mm. Like no one's really playing off each other. I think as well, maybe that's be some of the issues that they've had when they've been using a click track to record when you're trying to groove with thin air which is I think it's what's been their kind of downfall over time yeah it's where you know the previous albums they were all in the studio together yeah and they were all playing together and you can hear it you can hear the energy in the recordings Mm. and you just don't get that in this it's like right ship in the backing vocals sing your song see you later it just doesn't work with the music they're trying to make Mm. and it's such a shame and that's why i think i don't feel like they can come i keep saying they even though it is don but walt is involved in this one but how they can compare themselves to like Sly and the Family Stone and Earth, Wind and Fire. It's so far away from that yeah, music. That's fucking audacious that they could even compare the music on this record to those two bands. Well, the last song, you'll be glad to know. This is the last <laughs> song of the album. We're going to stop whinging now. It's Bad Energy, Bad Vibes and Juju. Tea House on the Tracks. Is this like a revisit of like Parker's band? Yeah, I think so. It's a very kind of New York song, isn't it? Yeah. So I actually went back to listen to Parker's band, like in the middle of listening to this at one point, I was thinking, hang on, this is familiar and like thematically familiar to me. Yeah. So I went back to listen to Parker's band and oh my God, <laughs> Parker's band is so much better. Like it's almost like a different band. Like the mix is better. The drums, the, you can feel the drums. Yeah. Since we started making these podcasts, my ear automatically goes to drum tracks now, which is weird. But I've actually written, ah, (laughs) on my notes because it's like, oh, my God, how could you have gone from something so incredible to something just so bad? And they've got the audacity to have applause in this album as well. And what's funny is you and I discussed this. I think it might have been in the first episode, actually. We were talking about Can't Buy a Thrill. And I said I wouldn't put it past them to put applause in their records. And you you were like, nah, (laughs) they'd never do that. Well, they did. They went and did it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And what is this, like a child's piano is the intro? Yeah, it's a really kind of rinky-dink piano, isn't it? Yeah, and I think they're trying to get this kind of, you know, funkin' for Jamaica? Yeah. You know, they've got that kind of really cool, like, yeah, kind of crowd noise in yeah. the background. Betty boop, that noise yeah. in the background. I feel like it's trying to capture that in the recording. Just, I know this is going to sound stupid coming from me, but it sounds really white. <laughs> this is a very, I think you, we could just say that this whole record is like white or beige. Mm, is you know ba- I mean? It is beige. To really sum up this record is no artist is infallible. Your favourite musicians will always make something that you don't like for one reason or another. True. I can't think of any music that I like that has just a perfect run of greatness because stuff just happens in their life and they make decisions that maybe weren't the best decisions to make. But 
ultimately this record exists <laughs> unfortunately and we've kind of had the horror of listening to it yeah so you don't have to but no. do just 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 give it one listen and share our pain i think the snippets of music in this episode will probably be enough to put anyone off hearing <laughs> yeah it. <laughs> yeah it's um it's not a great album oh i just want to pick out a couple of really bad lyrics in this tea house on the tracks one if you've got eyes to rhythmatize that's bad and the worst one that's the groove essential facts it's <laughs> uh, <laughs> like stop it because how old was he um he must have been like early 40s so he's like our age yeah he's our age yeah like and i could you know i don't make music you make music but i feel like if, if i was making music at this age obviously i don't have the uh experiences of the entire steely dan back catalog behind me but oh god i don't i think i'm still hanging on to a, a healthy amount of cynicism to not make an album that bad yeah Okay, so, LB, we need to talk about 11 tracks of whack. We do. We do. So, we, you've probably realised that uh, we didn't particularly like Kamakiri ads. <laughs> <laughs> Understatement of the century. And what we didn't want to do was uh, do another episode where we just tear into... Um, another album that isn't necessarily up to the same standard <laughs> as what we're ex sort of used to from the Steely Dan oeuvre. Yeah. And what we felt was that you, the listener, is to have two episodes where you just hear us whinging. Yeah, it's bad vibes, isn't it? It's really bad vibes. And, you know, you've had a episodes of us extolling the masterful songwriting of Donald Fagan and Walter Becker and we want to get back to that yeah we do so we're going to tag on just some general thoughts about 11 tracks of whack because we feel that this is two records that symbolize just a dark patch maybe them just feeling a little bit lost or mm. trying to write themselves out of a funk yeah because kamakiriad was after a huge period of writer's block yeah that don had mm. and i'm you know i'm glad it exists because later on Another one of his solo albums is so incredible. I'm glad he managed to kind of break the seal, I suppose. Yeah. And Walter's first solo album, it isn't very good. No. Rather than sit there whinging for half an hour about how bad it is, yeah, we thought we'd just do a quick, like a high-level overview. Yeah. <laughs> so I just sat down and took out some snippets from the record. What we did find in isolation is that the record sounds way better than it actually is almost made me change my mind about it when i listened to the initial cut <laughs> that you made i was like hang on a second this sounds all right but then i had to remind myself that no no it's not very good yeah so the songs are really long they pretty much stick to the same pace the lyrics 
are well there's no way to put it they're fucking awful yeah they're not great are they and there's something uh, kind of sleazy about it as well that i just really don't enjoy listening to and i think unfortunately sorry walter it's his voice yeah his voice a bit creepy and weird yeah it's a record that makes you feel really uneasy yeah, skidgy. Skidgy is the word that uh, we used to describe ourselves after we'd had quite a, um, an extended period of partying back in the early nineties. <laughs> skidgy. <laughs> skidgy. I've definitely felt skidgy before in my life. Oops. Yes. Sorry about that. I think we both have. I'm going to play the medley. We're going to listen to it in real time. And then we will just do a little bit of talking about it after. And then we've got some really exciting news once mm. we've stopped talking about this come on let's get it out of the way okay down in the bottom where your lifeline shows down in the bottom where nobody goes oh, it's a fucked up world so be cool my little junkie girl when we get grandma's number i think i'll just tell her your boy's home for christmas In the book of lions by day, burn the bridges high and low and down the road and gone. You told me once I was your pride and joy, sweet little cringe baker. I tell you what just sums up the lacklusterness <laughs> of that melody, of that record, is that final song. The hat stays flat. My hat is too flat. Can I just make a small confession? Yeah. I did find myself singing along to Junkie Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Fucking Junkie Girl. Oh, it's bad. It's just bad. Bless him. Yeah. I do feel bad. There's a bit of a, like, Chili's vibe to Surf and or Die. Yeah. Yeah. The You can kind of, you can hear the the kind of commercial music side of 1994. Yeah, you, you can. In that. I, there's, it kind of puts me in mind of, do you ever remember, like, early... Um, cable TV and you would have those really long adverts for like CDs that you could only buy for like twenty nine ninety nine. It's like a multi-pack of like songs that just are terrible. That's yeah. what it puts me in mind of. But also I think we talked about this in the Kamakiri ad episode is you have to understand that came out in 1994 and when you look at all of the other music that was coming out at that time it just doesn't stand up you can't compare this album to anything else that really came out 
at that time because it's so it's just shit yeah it's you know there are a lot of seminal records that came out in 1994 and our original plan i won't give it away but our original plan was to instead talk about a seminal album from 1994 Mm. and we drew up a short list and we picked a record and we actually recorded an episode yeah there's a whole secret episode of true crit yeah which we've decided is going to form the basis of season two yes which is very isn't it yeah we're gonna we're gonna do a couple of mini seasons it'll be a palate cleanser because it's very different isn't it yeah we kind of just want to highlight some bands that have some slightly smaller uh discographies we want to talk about just other genres um other ways that you can make a band Mm. that's an interesting way of putting it yeah write that write that down i'll remember it (laughs) i'm thinking about this stuff a lot i've got just to get a little bit personal the difference between me and lizzie is lizzie is working from home monday to friday and i'm just sat around on my couch monday to sunday doing a lot of thinking yes all i think about is microsoft teams (laughs) i just think in really abstract ways and time is no longer linear to me are you having an epiphany i'm kind of having like a road to damascus (laughs) i told you that i felt like i was a young zeus this morning yeah you did you're using a lot of like god analogies at the moment john we might need a chat (laughs) it's okay i'm not having a psychotic episode that's all right it's fine just maybe once i start talking about being able to shoot lightning out of my fingers listen if you can do that then then that's it i'll be very impressed i've won the internet yeah you've won the internet it's all over they just close the internet down yeah i close the internet down yeah imagine that anyway (laughs) we digress so yeah so i don't know listening to that little medley might have piqued your interest you might have listened to kamakiri our episodes and thought these guys are giving this record a short shrift i'm gonna go and check it out and then you'd be like i'm gonna go and check out 11 tracks of whack and then you're just like fuck i so i actually would urge people to listen to kamakiri ad yeah and skim over 11 tracks of whack because listening to those two albums it really puts some context around who were necessarily who was the powerhouse in terms of the songwriting out of don and walt because it's pretty obvious that Walter was not the best songwriter. Yeah, he was the the songwriting team of Don and Walt are the best parts of each other. Mm-hmm. That's a really good way of putting it. And but, but having listening to these to those two albums, it 
it's such a stark relief against everything else they've done. Yeah. And it does also give you a really kind of solid understanding of their journey and who's good at what in the uh, in the team, so to yeah. speak. We do so the exciting thing now that happens is our next episode will be <laughs> the return of Steely Dan. Yeah, they're back. And they just come straight out of the gate. Grammy Award winning record. Back on it. And I'm super excited to share that conversation with you. And it's back at the Herculean lengths that we go to uh, to dissect the songs in a very yeah. granular way. It's not a 30-minute wonder, this one. No. <laughs> I haven't even heard it yet. No, you haven't. No, I haven't heard it. I'm excited to hear it. So that's that's my job over the next two weeks is to get that episode into ship shape. Mm-hmm. It's followed directly by another Steely Dam record. We then have a mind blower of a Donald Fagan solo yeah, album. A real mind blower. I still think about that recording mm. like every week. I just go back to it. It blew my mind. It's yeah. There's a lot of just live revelations you've heard those happen in other episodes but this is like bang 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 like just massive realizations about what's going on in the record so Mm -hmm. that's that's going to be great and then we've got a water record that we've decided that we like yeah in part yeah it's yeah (laughs) We've had some exchanges on it already, haven't we? Yeah. And then we will finish this entire season with the most current Donald Fagan solo records. Mm, sunken condos. Yeah. So. And then we're nearly done. We're, we're four episodes away. Oh. So this is going to, well, you're hearing this because it's gone out. We've got more four, four more records to talk about, eight more weeks. And we bring to the end of season two. Yeah. Done and dusted. journey's nearly over. Well, you know. Well, this leg of the journey anyway. Yeah. We're stopping off at South Mim Services. <laughs> For a, yeah. We're going to get a, a nice coffee and... I'm going to have a Greg's Rustler cheeseburger. Oh, God. Just get a Greg's. What's wrong with you? I like Rustler cheeseburgers. Oh, okay, fine. Well, I'll get a Greg's. All right. I'll meet you out by the van. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Some reason in my mind, we're driving a van. Yeah, we're driving a true crit van. <laughs> Branded. Now, okay, I'll add that to the mood board. Yeah, it's got some aerials on top. Yeah. And like a kind of like bunk bed thing inside. Yeah, and then like... Um, yeah, just massive speakers at the back. Yeah. Or maybe like like tannoys on the roof. Mm. No one needs to hear what we're listening to all the time. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. I think we've said 
everything we need to say. Yes, I do want to make it very clear, though. We love Steely Dan. We love yeah. Don and Walt. Dearly. And that's probably why we haven't ripped into this album, is because we revere them so much. Is that we didn't want to kind of be a, be on a massive downer about them, because they are amazing. Yeah. We just want to get back to the great stuff. Exactly. And there's plenty of it. Good vibes only. Yeah. So, we'll be back in the next two weeks. Thank you very much for listening. See you later. See you later. Bye. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.